Well, let me welcome you back here to Systematically Wild. I'm happy to bring in Kevin Luco again. And Kevin, you know, a couple of weeks ago, I think we were singing some rather sad songs about where the Minnesota Wild were at. But boy, talk about coming out of the All-Star break on fire. It was a rather pedestrian effort, I would put it, against Chicago coming out of the break. And you know you get that. Guys are still in vacation mode. But it was a great game on Friday night for the Mark Andre Fleury celebration night. And then a real impressive road victory going to Vegas on Monday night. You got to think the guys all got out there while the Super Bowl was going on. So it could have been a lot of distractions, but they didn't get the Vegas flu and they played very well and got the win. Absolutely. A lot of close games for this team over the last week. And you know, sometimes I always wonder about when you're, you're on the road, then you come home for one, then you go back out on the road, what kind of performance you're going to get out of that either, Kevin, because, you know, the little change and, you know, you got to sleep in your own bed for a couple nights and then you're back out on the road kind of thing, but didn't seem to be bothering this team in any way. And they got very solid goaltending. Gustafson's looked quite a bit better this last week. Yes, it was a bit of a leaky first, not leaky, but fluky is the word I was looking for first before last night, but it was a overall solid performance from Guff last night, and Flurry had a very good game on his night, and Gustafson was also solid in Chicago. Well, let's start there, Kevin. Wednesday night, a 2-1 to victory over the Blackhawks, uh, a game where Jake Lucchini scores his first goal of the season, 12-27 into the contest. Felino scores to tie the game for Chicago at 13:44 of the second, but it is a different Felino scoring for Minnesota to give them the victory at 10:07 in the third. Nice two-to-one victory, well fought-out battle. Chicago may be struggling record-wise, Kevin, but you know they always seem to play Minnesota fairly tough, and they got a great performance as you mentioned at Augustuson stopping 20 shots. You know, Chicago doesn't have a lot to play for, but they, like you said, they'll always give you a battle, and they just don't really have a lot going for them offensively with Connor Bedard still out. But like you said, the Felino boys, Nick Felino, strikes for them. But um, Brother Mark has got the last laugh with the game winner in the third period. And, you know, and that gets to what I was talking about. You look at it for Minnesota. You have a fourth liner with Lucini getting the first goal, and then a third liner with um, Felino scoring the game winner. The top two lines, uh, it was all like they took the night off. And fortunately, the guys in the bottom two lines came out ready to play, and that proved to be the difference. A couple nights later, the Pittsburgh Penguins come to town. As Kevin mentioned, uh, Marc-Andre Fleury going in there, facing Pittsburgh likely for the very last time of his career. Played very well in this contest. Matt Boldy gets the first goal of the game, 12:57 into the contest. Pittsburgh able to tie it on a Smith goal, 2:54 into the second. But it is Brodine, excuse me, scoring 6:12 into the second to give Minnesota back the lead. Sidney Crosby scores on a power play, 101 into the third. But Kaprizov with his 20th goal of the season, 9:34 to the third, and Flurry makes the team hold that victory out there. Fine performance in. From him in this game, oh, I went too far on that right there. There we go. Uh, in this game, as he stopped 34 shots against his old team there. And a nice victory to send Marc-Andre Fleury likely out on a winning note against his team for the for the very last time he'll likely face them. 
Well, no, never say never on that front, but I'll get back to that after talking about the game. And you look at the, you gave the scoring recap there. Two of the goals were Matt Boldy and Kirill Kaprizov, top-line guys. And that's what they, Minnesota is going to need if they have any desire at all to get back into this um, playoff hunt. And big goals by both of them. Kaprizov proved to be the difference. And it was almost like it was uh, almost uh, like a movie script type deal with uh, Minnesota playing the last couple minutes um, down down two skaters six to four with the goalie pulled and Flurry makes some big saves. The defense does a good job of keeping the puck to the outside and Minnesota gets the victory at home. Now the trade deadline is March eighth. Could Flurry move on to a team like possibly Toronto? I think it would be a potential landing spot, even though it would create a log jam with Joseph Wall and then two very mediocre goalies with Sam Snoff and Martin Gold. So there's some other teams too that I think could use his experience if they got like a young goalie that they're trying to ride through the playoffs. So. Stay tuned on that one, uh, because you have to think, especially if the Wild are out of the playoff hunt, that you'd like to have Flurry get one more chance to get involved in a playoff run and get his name on the cup again. You know, I realize he hasn't played in a lot of games this season, Kevin, but a 2.91 goals against average is pretty good, and, and you like teams really like that. Veteran goalie, Stanley Cup playoff time, who understands what it takes to win a title. And, you know, he's, he's got four of them. Am I, am I thinking that right at this point? So uh guy definitely you can count on to, to take you all the way. And I think, too, if you broke down his season, uh, his numbers for the last couple of months have, have to be much better than they were for the first two. So, you know, he's I think he's been playing some – Really good hockey the last couple of months after getting off to a rocky start, along with the rest of the team. Yeah, let's look that up here a little bit. So just just looking at since January 13th, he's allowed four total goals in four games. Um, but yeah, he's had been except for back to back games where he gave up four goals against Dallas and Philadelphia. He's been very solid for this club for about two months right now. So. Definitely be a guy you can count on if you were looking. Especially, you know, Kevin, the great thing about playoff time is you know you're not playing, like, back-to-back nights ever. A lot of times you're getting two, even three days off before you're finally taken back to the ice. So, uh, you know, he gets plenty of rest if you want to try to get a big run with him. And if you're going to get on a run, you got to have two very experienced goalies. Uh, I mean, you look at Florida's run last year. By the time they got to the cup finals, they are playing, um, I believe, Alex Lyon. Am I mistaken on that? No, I think you're right. Yeah, that's right. And he, he Vegas was um, pretty deep into um, their goaltending depth, too. I mean, Aiden Hill was the, the stud for them, but going into the beginning of the last season, Aiden Hill was not a guy you were going to be counting on to win on Stanley Cup with. Very but, true. You know, it's a grind on the goalies, too, even if they're not playing back-to-back nights. So... So if you're going to win a Stanley Cup, you better have some. You better have a number two goaltender that can go out there and answer the bell. 
Well, Kevin and I are recording this on a Tuesday night, so the team did play on Monday. Comes away with a 5-3 victory over the Vegas Golden Knights in Vegas. Um, uh, looks like it's going to get off to a really bad start here when Vegas is able to score 22 seconds into the contest. But Zuccarello tied the game a little over 10 minutes later. Then it is Eric Sinek with his 22nd goal of the season at 12:09 to give the team the lead. Vegas able to retie the score, but back-to-back goals by uh, Marco Rossi and Matt Boldy put Minnesota on top by two. Stone scores to make this a one-goal game, but Eric Sinek with an empty net goal with 22 seconds left, his second goal of the contest. Minnesota grabs the 5-3 to three victory, Kevin. Yeah, there's a lot to mull over with this game. You know, you just gave a quick synopsis there, but... The first Minnesota goals on a five-on-three power play, and how many times have we seen this year with um, the Wild completely squandering a five-on-three situation? But they execute with Zuccarello getting the goal, and Eric would act well. I believe was just as it became five-on-five again, so it wasn't a power play goal, but it may as well have been. And then the you know the. Two goals in the third, they weren't flashy, but they were effective. You know, Rossi gets taps in a rebound, and then uh, what became the difference in the game, Puck gets dumped deep in the Vegas end by Matt, by Ryan Hartman. I almost said Matt again. Um, Matthew Boldy chases it down. And then chips a shot in almost from the goal line, hits the goalie and bounces in, and that was the difference in the game. You know, what's impressive about that victory, I thought, too, Kevin, is that Vegas has been unreal at home this season, like 19-5 and five or something. And it's like when you can go in there and win a game like that, you know that you're, you're really setting a tone. you got to feel really good about coming away with a victory like that. But I just wonder now, Team 7-3 and three over their last 10, and you're talking about the trade deadline coming up about a little less than a month from now. I mean, I, I guess you're kind of questioning yourself here at this point with Minnesota 53 points, sixth place in this division. If you're talking about closing in on, on the team, they're five points behind St. Louis, who's got 58 and is grabbing one of those last two playoff spots right now. Man, are, are we trade deadline? Are, are, is Minnesota a buyer, do you think, at that point? I don't think they'll sacrifice future assets to buy into a run this year. Even if they're, even, you know, if they're like, I think the magic number, I think you you got to be four points out of a playoff spot. If you're six, seven, eight, that's maybe then you're looking into selling some impending um, unrestricted free agents. But, with the salary cap issues for Minnesota and the fact that this isn't a team geared for a deep Stanley Cup run, I don't see Minnesota becoming a buyer. I'm curious from you, too, is do you see this totally as points, or do you say to yourself, right now the Calgary's ahead of them, Nashville's ahead of them, and then either St. Louis or Los Angeles is your, your eighth-place team at this point, Three teams, is that enough to jump over? I mean, is that too many to jump over? Or do you just care totally about points? I think you just look at the points. You get you can win two points a night, and that's all you need to focus on. 
I don't think you can worry about what the teams in front of you are doing. You have no control over that, especially with these games where teams can get the loser point. But, you know, take, for example, tonight, um, as we're recording this, Los Angeles was getting skunked in Buffalo 5 nothing. That is nothing like the Los Angeles team we saw earlier this season that was run, running through the Pacific Division. So, But like I said, once again, Minnesota can't focus on what Los Angeles is doing or not doing. Minnesota needs to focus on what Minnesota's doing. And then, you know, everything else will fall into place. And speaking of that, Kevin, team going to Arizona on Wednesday night, then Buffalo at home on Saturday. Two very winnable games, but we saw the last time that Arizona came to town to face on Minnesota came away with a 6 nothing victory. So you just never know what you're getting out of these wilds. But the team playing very well right now. Do you see a 2-0 week here for the club? Coyotes are really struggling. And, boy, in Minnesota, if you need motivation, I don't think you have to look any further than that that six donuts that Arizona hung on you at XL Energy Center. So if you can't go in that game motivated, then I don't know if you deserve to be a playoff team. And, and Minnesota lost a tough game in Buffalo earlier this year, too, that I'm sure they'd like to avenge. So, so the motivation is there. And if they play the game that we saw last night and on Friday night, I could see them winning both games this week. Well, Kevin, if you weren't happy enough about the play of the Minnesota Wild, the Iowa Wild also had a very good week as Tucson came to town, who at that time was the top team in the Pacific Division. And the Iowa Wild come away with a sweep of the two-game set, winning 2-1 to one on Friday, then a big 5-4 to four victory on Saturday in overtime. And three straight victories for a club that I was almost thinking was out of the picture, and all of a sudden looks like they're back in the playoff hunt. Why we had the shovels out and were ready to throw dirt in the grave, and it was it was that bad. But uh, you know, the Iowa did obviously what they needed to do, and you know, defend your home ice and get two points every night, and let teams know that if you're going to come into Wells Fargo Arena, you're going to be in for a fight. So Friday night's game, Kevin, is scoreless after one. Sammy Walker scores his seventh goal of the season at 7.15 of the second. Then it is Ryan O'Rourke scoring at 3.38 of the third. That was the eventual game winner. Josh Doan comes up with his 18th goal of the season, breaking the fantastic performance by Jesper Valstead. He looked like he was going to get the shutout, but 151 left in the contest. Doan scores. Not enough you could say about Valstead, who's been kind of battling back and forth, moving between Minnesota and, and Iowa and kind of out of a rhythm, but looks like he's back to the Jester Wall said we saw earlier this year and last year. I think in that win in, in uh, Henderson last Sunday night and then having a pretty good showing for himself in the AHL All-Star game may have just been what um, Volstead needed to get his game back on track again. And consistent um, repetition, too. Absolutely. Saturday night uh, is a wild 5-4 contest. Minnesota, or sorry, Minnesota, Iowa scores. Adam and Beckman scores 429 into the game when he completely read this p- p- attempted clearing pass out and was able to get a shot off and get a goal. Uh, Tucson scores back-to-back goals to take the lead, one of those on the power play, but it is 
Iowa coming back, Stephen Fogarty with the power play goal, his 10th of the season, 16-37 into the first. Then Brendan Miller gives Iowa back the lead at 17-58. Five goals in the first period here, three by Iowa. Man, Kevin, I think we were watching like four or five games and three goals wasn't scored in almost any game for the club. So see that in the first period. Wow, nice rebound for the club. Oh, yeah, it was an offensive display on in the first period. And, boy, you know, if you had – yeah, Brendan Miller, I'm chipping in. Hey, you definitely got some offense going for you. Because Miller is not known for his goal-scoring prowess. No, I was first of the season, as a matter of fact. Sammy Walker scores his eighth goal of the season, 12-28 in the second, to give Iowa two-goal advantage. Doan and Cameron Hebig score to tie the game up. That sends the contest to overtime, where Sammy Walker scores his ninth of the season. A nice setup play by uh, a shot that is, Saved, but the rebound comes right back to Michael Milne. Uh, Milne, right? Am I saying that right? Milne. Milne. Okay, I said it wrong. I'm sorry. Who gets his own rebound back and then finds Walker, who buries the shot for his ninth goal of the season. Two goals on the night for Sammy Walker, who was kind of a no-show for a long time, Kevin, but looks like he's getting a little bit of that scoring touchback. I know the talk was that what we weren't seeing all of Walker was a result of him not being able to be on the line with Marco Rossi this year. So I find it to be encouraging that now Walker is starting to create some offense. And if they can get the Samuel Walker of last year going, that would be huge for Iowa to try to get it back into the playoff chase again. Two goals and an assist for Walker, but how about Mason Shaw, Kevin, with three assists in the contest? Yeah, you can't um, you can't um, discount what Shaw's meant to this team too. Once he got his sea legs under him, that he's been let's face it, he's probably a captain on the team without actually having the sea. You know, Dakota Mermans did have the sea to start the year. He's don't think we're going to see him leave Minnesota the rest of the year. So I think you're seeing Shaw's the de facto captain of this team and. He's been setting a good example since he got a chance to get on and start playing again. Well, the two victories, Kevin, moved to Iowa Wild to 37 points. That is tied for with Chicago right now. Chicago has the better winning percentage at this point. They are 16-21-5, while Iowa is 17-25-3. Uh, if you're looking ahead, Rockford is four points ahead of both of those teams right now. And you have the Iowa Wild traveling down to Texas on Friday and Saturday to take on the Stars. Then Monday night, they begin a two-game set against Rockford on Monday and Wednesday. So back in the division now, Kevin's going to take us through most of the rest of the year with the exception of a couple of games against Hershey. But starting in Texas, I always want to get excited about this team after having big victories about, over Tucson. And then we go play Texas and have Matt Murray in goal. And then I'm like, uh-oh. So... I'm not really – I don't want to get too hyped up right now, Kevin. Yes, Texas is not a lucky place for Iowa. Granted, they did get the win down there last season to get them into a playoff spot. But what you hope for is that Iowa has grasped the desperation right now to win games, get points, and to try to get into at least that fifth-place spot. So – Maybe they'll, I guess the hope you're looking for is that they will, they will be a little more motivated than Texas at this point. 
Well, let's drop down to the ECHL now, Kevin. And uh, I, I'm not going to even say this is a tough week. Club went one and two, the Heartlanders this week, but three great games. Uh, got great goaltending in all these games. A two to one loss against Kalamazoo on Wednesday. Then they split with Cincinnati over the weekend, uh, winning on Friday night four to three, and then losing on Saturday two to one. I mean, those are hard-fought games against teams that you're battling ahead of. You'd like to win those games, but I, I didn't feel like the team needed to come out of that weekend hanging their heads low in any way. They didn't, but boy, I saw the replay of the goal they came up with. What was it, like four seconds left on Saturday night to lose a game there. If you got a face-off in your own end and there's only like eight seconds left, you got to find a way to tie guys up and keep that puck on the outside. Don't even let the other team get a shot, and then and then go see what you can do in overtime. But boy, that was a that was crushing to give up one point and then a chance to try to get two against a division rival. I do agree with you. So let let's begin on Wednesday night, Kevin. Uh, came against Kalamazoo. They do come away with a point as they lose in the shootout, but. Uh, each team scores a goal in regulation. It is uh, uh, Jay uh, Karanen scoring for Kalamazoo. Uh, it could be Karanen. I'm going to go Karanen. I'm going to go with that. 8.53 into the second. Yuki Miura scores his sixth goal of the season with 4.30 left in the contest to force the shootout. Uh, Kalamazoo gets the only two goals of the extra session right there. Drew DeRitter looked great in the game, Kevin. He continues to impress 27 saves for Iowa. Yeah, I can't say enough for the job that Ritter has done when he has been given an opportunity. On Friday night, Iowa scores three goals to jump out to a commanding lead in this contest. Since they playing chase uh, catch-up in this contest all game long, they do cut it to a two-goal deficit with a shorthanded goal. But Yuki Mura, with his second goal in his, in his many games, makes this back to uh, a Three-goal advantage. Cincinnati adds two late goals, one of them on the power play, um, to cut this to a one-goal game. But it is, once again, Iowa getting solid enough goaltending. Hunter Jones stopping 25 shots in the contest to get the victory. So Jones looking to try to establish himself back in here gives his team a, a victory with a solid performance. Yeah, I thought it was um, kind of an interesting week for choices in the goaltending department with um, – Jones getting the start in the middle game of the set and then also getting the start for the finale end. You have to wonder, you know, where's Peyton Jones in the mix now? Well, he was the backup on Friday. And, uh, and I thought, well, wait a minute. what You know, I, it, this is a very interesting situation because Drew DeRitter has definitely proved that he deserves a shot to, to be a, a, an everyday guy. But Peyton Jones returns back with, with Volstead coming back in, in, in Iowa, and he and so Peyton Jones comes back to the Heartlanders, and now it looks like DeRitter's the odd man out now. And it's like, wow. Uh, I mean, that, that you know, I guess thanks for the memories. What are you getting right now? I guess if it gets to the point that, you know, Iowa sees themselves as a non factor in the postseason race, maybe DeRitter or Jones gets an opportunity with another club to try to be a playoff goaltender. So we'll, we'll see what's going on there because, you know, if you're carrying three goaltenders 
you know, either the phone's going to be an odd man out or at best you're, you're playing one game a weekend and that's not going to keep anyone sharp. Absolutely. Absolutely right about that. As Kevin mentioned, a very sad loss on Saturday. Uh, Will Cavallari, Caval, Calverly, excuse me, I've said that wrong, um, gets the, the goal, his eighth goal of season, 731 in the second to give Iowa the lead. The Cincinnati able to tie the game about two minutes later, then get a goal with four seconds left in the contest to get the victory. Hunter Jones was very good in this game, Kevin, stopping 30 shots. But unfortunately, he comes away with a hard luck loser. Yeah, that was, you know, like I talked about before, you just get, you got to find a way to either one, win the faceoff, or if you don't, figure out what you're going to do if you lose a faceoff. I mean, you just can't allow them to, and you know, it wasn't a high percentage shot. It was almost from the boards, but you just can't allow the guys to get a shot on net with that little time left, you know, block a shot, make sure the guys are covering is covered. Obviously, it was a, well, covered by somebody else. Yeah, and and you, and you feel like, I mean, I'm sure the team we're we're patting Jones on, like, hey, that's on us, you know. But from his standpoint, I I gotta feel so much better about how he's looked lately. And and uh, you know, he's a guy that needs to see playing time. But so do Peyton Jones and and Drew Dorier. So uh, it's just a very tough. I mean, a nice problem I guess to have when you have three goaltenders that you can count on but you got to you got to think somebody's going to be a little disgruntled in that locker room at some point about never seeing ice time parents don't let your babies grow up to be goaltenders <laughs> that's the truth right there there's only one net and only one goalie can play if you're a forward there's four lines or six defensemen but only one goalie can play per game if the goal plays good of course well, the team is going to welcome Indy to town for three games, Kevin, and the Fuel in third place in this division with 54 points. The Heartlanders 19, 20, and 7. They're in last, um, easily within striking uh, distance of Kalamazoo, who's in fifth place right now with 49 points. But I'm wondering, you know, this team has not sniffed 500 I mean, in the first couple of years. You're at 19 and 20 if you look at that po- portion and take out the, the seven overtime or shootout losses. And and I, I think, you know, even if this team doesn't make the playoffs, if they could be at 500 this year in a very, very, very tough central division, that's a lot to be proud of. Yes, I mean, it's progress considering what the first two years have been like for this franchise. And we just wish more people were going out to watch the games and supporting this team because it's a team that's on the rise. Yeah, I, I got to tell you, Kevin, that my buddy Jason sent me a picture of the, the like from the penalty box. I think this picture was looking out at, at the crowd on on a Wednesday night, and I mean that stadium was just empty. I mean, I, I don't. Th- I think I saw maybe two fans sitting in the stands, and I could see probably sixty five percent of the arena. I thought, wow, I, what is going on here? Man, people got to better come out and support this Heartlanders team because, you know, you've been talking to me off the air for quite a while about this This team may not be around for very long if they don't start doing something to fix things up here. And, and fans better get serious. They want to keep their club. Well, boy, you know, I would be doing – I would just be 
marketing the crap out of the team locally too, you know. I saw a post by somebody on their fan page on Facebook and it was a it was a, they posted an ad for an upcoming Cincinnati Cyclones homestand. And like four games there's four different giveaways. It is rare that you hear about any giveaways at a Heartlanders game. But you got, you got to do these things to get the word out to let people know, we're, hey, we're, we're in town. We are your hockey team. And, you know, somebody made a valid point and said, well, you know, to have those promotions, you got to have, yeah, get out there and get the corporate support. Well, between Coralville and Iowa City, you got to imagine there's enough corporate businesses out there that would be willing to drop some money to advertise their business by sponsoring a promotional giveaway. So it's just a matter of going out and doing the work if you really want this thing to succeed. You know, Kevin, and you've talked to me a long time about the fact that the right giveaway will draw thousands of people just on that, like bobbleheads. People love those kind of things. They're great keepsake, and you'll get you'll get. 2,500, 3,000 people just want a bobblehead if you give them away. Definitely, but I mean, they're not cheap, so that's where you got to go find the sponsor willing that is enthusiastic about getting their name out and sponsoring the night. Absolutely. Well, Kevin, that, that leads us into uh, uh, our, our great Kevin Luco. Uh, me- walk down memory lane, I guess I should say, if I can get those words out of my mouth. <laughs> so so what are we talking about for Minnesota Wild history this week? Well, as usual, I have nothing for that. So I think we almost should just change the segment to something else. But... Okay. All right. What are we going to talk about then? Here's what I want to talk about, and I want to get your um, opinion on it too, because it seems to be a polarizing issue in the NHL and in pro hockey right now. In the Saturday night Toronto-Ottawa game, and here's where I am as far as I'm following Ottawa Senders hockey, I guess it's considered a rivalry with Toronto and Ottawa. I thought Toronto had more of a rivalry with um, Montreal, but apparently it's the Battle of Ontario. Yeah, well, I can say that. Player for the senders has an open net and decides to fire a slap shot into the open net. Morgan Riley takes exception and cross-checks the guy in the side of the face. And it was announced on Monday afternoon he's been suspended for five games. To me, I get why you're mad. I get like you might have felt like you were shown up there. But there's two things you can do about it. Three things now that I think of it. One, put yourself in a situation where you're not having to have an open net. Yeah. You know, there's more to a person's body than their head. You know, give a little cross-check to the side, a little slash to the leg, something. But don't hit a guy in the head. I don't care how mad you are at him. We're, We're a lot smarter than that now when it comes to concussions. And we know that something like a cross-check like that could set a guy back, not just for a few games, but for possibly an entire career. And three, well, everyone's got a memory bank, and I'm sure those teams will be facing again. 
give the guy a receipt the next time you play against him. Let him realize, hey, you know what? You're going to probably have to answer to Ryan Reeves the first time you guys are on ice together. Instead of doing something where you're potentially hurting a player and you're hurting your own team by getting suspended. So I know some people say, well, he's shown shown how much of a team player he is. Oh, no, he's not. You're not a team player if you're in the press box. So Morgan Riley, be smarter. Not that he's listening to the show. And (laughs) somebody might tell him. Stay on the ice. Do your job. You, you know, this is an interesting discussion. of the week. This is an interesting discussion, Kevin, because in doing shows with college football coaches, um, they'll be, and that, you know, when, when just, just as an example, um, for a long time when St. Thomas was in the MIAC conference, they would roll over a St. Olaf or McAllister, whatever, 77 to 7, or, or whatever I would say. And it would be 63 to 7 with like five minutes left in the game. And their coach, um, Caruso, would still be trying to score. And I would once in a while ask coaches, I'd say, well, how do you feel when a coach is trying to, you know, run up the score against you? You know, it's clear that the game is over with. And to a man, they will always say to me, it's our job to stop somebody. It's not, not our job to tell that guy how to coach on the other side. Glenn Caruso doesn't need to hear from me how to coach. I need to get my guys to stop somebody. And so if you gave up an empty net goal late in the contest, I don't care if the dude danced around and, you know, like he was in the, trying to go the gold medal in figure skating before putting the puck in the net. It's still your job to stop him. So if he gave up a goal, that's just, hey, I'm sorry, but, you know, you gave up a goal. And if he slapped it in, is that it? does that make you feel any any worse than if he tapped it in? I mean, you're still giving up the goal, and that's really what matters to me. So I, I think that's a silly reason to be getting upset. And, and like you said, you never go at somebody's head. Uh, that's just as dumb and, and ridiculous as it gets. And, and I, the injury you can cause to somebody like that is a permanent kind of deal. And he's just very fortunate that that player wasn't hurt worse. I mean, I... I that I would have lost my mind about if somebody would have forechecked me, cross-checked me, excuse me, in the head like that because they're mad for no reason. That's just stupid. Oh, look at the, uh, the Patrick Steffen, I believe, played, he was playing for Dallas at the time. And they're playing at Edmonton. And he's got like a lay-in for an empty net goal. Was well, he's going to just go politely tap it in the puck bounced over his stick. He whiffed on it. Edmonton came back down, scored the goal, put the game in overtime, and I believe they ended up winning. Well, maybe Stefan at that time, maybe he should have been blowing like a 70-mile-an-hour slaps on the net instead of tapping the puck in, too. I mean, really, is it like baseball where we're going to have unwritten rules for empty net goals? Exactly. That's why I was kind of interested last night in the, the wild win against Vegas, oh, here we go. We finally got a wild tie-in to my rant. Fuck um, <laughs> that center ice. Duhay has a great check on Alex Peter Angelo to knock him off the puck, giving Eric Neck an empty net shot. And I was curious to see how he was going to handle it. He just 
skated down and then just like with one hand and stick just guided into the net so that you don't try to rile anybody up. But is this going to be like baseball now where we're going to have unwritten rules for how you score an empty net goal? I mean, are we going to have players starting to attack goalies if a goalie tries to get an empty net goal? And, you know, it's where, do you, where, where does this all end? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. You know, and as you mentioned, there are ways to get your point across weeks or months or a year down the road. You know, you're going to face that team again, and you have a chance to give a guy a, you know, a, a punch to the head, which I'm not saying is the right thing to do either, but I mean, you have, you have a way to, to get your point across without coming with your stick to somebody's head. And uh, so it's like, this is completely unnecessary and childish. And um, five games, I think, is a, an extremely just punishment for that. So. You know, and there's always a well-placed chirp. You know, you escape by him and say, Wow, what a memorable goal for you. I hope you remember it when you're watching us play in the playoffs this spring. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly right, you know. Uh, and as you mentioned, now you're costing your team five games of your services. So I uh, hope that was worth it to if your team, you know, team's trying to do something with them to make some kind of run down the stretch or whatever, and now you're going to be the guy sitting on the bench not giving anything. So good for you. <laughs> hope that paid off in the long run. Wow. You know, speaking of uh, staying with the NHL for just a moment before we close out of here, Kevin, um, Edmonton saw the 16-game winning streak come to an end, uh, struggled a little bit on the road, losing two of the last three games for them. But, um, I, you know, here's something that kind of stunned me about this club. This team won 16 games. I mean, that's a lot of games to win in a row. And you would think they would skyrocket up the division standings, but still third in this division. And I, I, I'm going to give Vancouver credit. They're out there winning a lot of games. But I thought, wow, Edmonton must have really looked bad early on to, to have that many games in a row that you win. And that's as far as you get up the standings. That, that's a big gap that they left for themselves, it sounds like. I can remember when Minnesota was struggling to start the season and Edmonton came to St. Paul and Minnesota have their way with them and you just saw what what is wrong with this Edmonton team. They've got two of the best players in the league with McDavid and Dreisaitl and they're just not reaping any benefits from it. But, boy, they have really have turned it around. But like you said, give Vancouver a ton of credit. Now the word has come out that um, Phil Kessel may end up landing on the Canucks too. That it sounds like he's going to be signed to a tryout of some sort with the Abbotsford Canucks and to try to get back into playing shape. And he could be a piece that Vancouver could plug in that's got extensive playoff experience and a veteran presence for the for a run to a possible Stanley Cup for the Canucks. And how about the play of uh, Elias Patterson? I mean, this is a guy that I think the most unknown superstar in the league, having quite a year for the club. Not to mention Brock Besser. And just think, you know, last year we, we were talking in Minnesota that maybe they could have got Besser from the Canucks for not really a lot in return. And, boy, you wish 
you wish the salaries could have played out better where that deal could have been made. Well, let me give you one more thought to talk about before we head out tonight. Boston was a team last year with the huge records and looked unstoppable, knocked out of the playoffs early. Is this what we're going to see from Boston this year? Is it like Tampa Bay a few years ago when they were lighting the league up, get knocked out in the first round, swept by Columbus, then come back the next year and win the Stanley Cup? Are Boston Bruins Stanley Cup champions this year? I think it's a possibility because maybe things last year came a little too easily for Boston. I've seen Boston lose several games this year where they've frankly haven't looked that good. Well, look at Minnesota. What Minnesota won twice against them. So maybe this is going to be a team that realizes, hey, you know, we do have flaws. We better come to the playoffs focus. Look what happened last year. So I can see this being a Bruins team that could end up going all the way just because I think last year and being a not playing being as dominant as they were last year has got their attention. Fantastic. Kevin Loco, thanks for joining me this week. My pleasure.